This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Madam Chair, I want to put forward the motion. It's a very long motion, so I'm not going to read the entire thing. That I gave notice of motion of uh, yesterday that the clerk has circulated. Il y a une phrase en français que j'ai déjà parlé au graphique. There is one a phrase in French that I've already told the clerk should be removed regarding uh, appearing before the committee regarding number two. The rest of the wording was good. I was here. Um, I don't think any of us were satisfied with the answers she gave, although I very much appreciate that Google has now agreed to send their two, uh, two top American executives to us. Um, so basically, this motion is similar to what my colleague Mr. Biddle put forward. It's a motion about international uh, ways that large companies are seeking to subvert parliamentary accountability. Listeners of this podcast will be familiar with Bill C-18, the online news bill whose foundation is mandated payments for links. The bill targets two companies, Google and Facebook, and in response to the prospect of uncapped liability that could run into the hundreds of millions of dollars for linking, both have indicated they're considering stopping links to Canadian news and search results or stopping news sharing on their platforms. This podcast isn't about the bill, but rather about the government's response to the company's response. In an obvious act of retribution, earlier this month, Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Canadian Heritage, Liberal MP Chris Biddle, said he was moving a motion that would demand a wide range of internal and external documents dating back years. The motion even looped in the private correspondence of companies, NGOs, journalists, and potentially thousands of individual Canadians all caught by demands for third-party communications. At committee, Liberal MP Anthony Housefather introduced a motion that removed some of the most problematic elements, but still left in place what is best described as a fishing expedition. Perrin Beatty is a former cabinet minister under Prime Ministers Clark and Mulroney, was named president of the CBC by Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, and is now the president and CEO of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. His members are split in their views on Bill C-18, but not on the motion at Heritage Committee. He joins me on the podcast to discuss the concerns with the motion and the dangerous precedent it sets. Perrin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Michael. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for coming on. And, you know, thank you for getting engaged on an issue that I think, frankly, should be of concern to everyone, individual Canadians who participate in political and policy processes, NGOs, and and certainly companies, both big and small. Now, I'm speaking, of course, of, of a Canadian heritage motion that was raised by government MPs that, frankly, I think looks to be retribution for opposing government legislation and notably opens the door to fishing expeditions on internal documents and individual communications. I'd like to get to some of the specifics around that motion and your response in a moment, but for those that that aren't as familiar with the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, can you get us started talking a bit about who you are, who you represent, and how generally you develop policy or public positions? Sure. Glad to do that, Michael. Uh, I'm Perrin Beatty. I'm president and CEO of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. The Canadian Chamber is Canada's largest business organization. We represent about 200,000 businesses of every size, every sector, and every region of the country, uh, both through direct membership and also through membership uh, of our network of 
over 400 uh, boards of trade and chambers across the country. So it, it really is, in a sense, the voice of business in Canada. Okay, so so very broad, representing a really wide range of, of, of companies, as you say, both big and small and from every region in the country. I want to get into the into your public letter in a, in a moment, but first, why don't we explain the motion itself? Now, listeners of the podcast certainly are going to be familiar with Bill C-18, the Online News Act. And of course, I think many Canadians are by now familiar with the responses from Google and Facebook, who have both raised the prospect either of stopping linking to Canadian news or sharing news in response to a plan that at its heart is about mandated payments for links. But regardless of your view of the bill, it's the response in this case from the government and its MPs that are, I think, most notable. Can you talk a bit about that response and the motion that was that was raised? Years and years ago, Michael, um, Harold Laswell, the political scientist, wrote a book back in the 1930s about entitled Politics, Who Gets What Where, uh, Who Gets What When and How. And that's been taken in a sense as a classic definition of uh, politics. Nothing better exemplifies that than C-18 does, and that uh, it really is a debate about uh, who pays for uh, access to uh, online news services um, and uh, who gets the benefits from that. And the government has taken a position by putting the bill in that they would like uh, uh, internet companies like Facebook and, and Google to carry the cost for content that they get from Canadian media suppliers. Um, obviously, Facebook and Google don't like that. Uh, Canadian media suppliers do like it. So it, it is a classic political fight, if you like, in terms of the government allocating who pays for what and who gets who gets the benefit. Um, the Canadian Chamber hasn't taken a position on the bill itself. We have members who are on both sides of the issue. What the concern was here was the uh, the methodology the government was using, the, the tactics it was using. Uh, it saw it as being convenient to position itself as a defender of the little guy and of Canadian interests against Facebook and Google. That's classical politics, I suppose. Um, and uh, they had picked their villain. Having picked their villain, they were proposed. They were prepared to take extreme measures to. Uh, to punish them and to uh, uh, force them to to into particular types of behavior. For example, they've subpoenaed key executives to come before the parliamentary committee. Uh, I don't have a problem with uh, with having key executives of these companies before the committee. That's that's fine. Where my concern was, and where I think yours is, was that they, you know, as part of the motion, brought in sweeping. Uh, requirements and making an order that all communications, both from individuals and from um, from organizations between these companies uh, and the uh, and the individuals or organizations involved, uh, going back a period of three years, would have to be made available to uh, the committee, and this would have to be done by the end of March. So, very little time to be able to do it. But uh, and absolutely sweeping in terms of being a fishing expedition, looking for information that that could be useful to them to use against these two companies. Um, it violates basic principles uh, under the government's access to information legislation. We're third parties. We're you as an individual or where a company gives information to the government. 
Uh, if an access request is made of the government, there's specific rules that apply to that that give exemptions in terms of, of what sort of information must be produced, but also provide for a requirement that the government needs to reach out to third parties to make them aware of the fact that there's been a request for information, it might have been a, a letter that you sent to the government department or, or a brief that you've submitted. Um, they need to, to let you know that there's been that request and they need to give you an opportunity to say, uh, I would appreciate you're not making that public for the following reasons. Now, uh, on the commercial side, it may very well be commercial confidentiality, that that this would be something that your competitors would want, dealing, for example, with how you do pricing or what your what your marketing strategy is. And it's a very would be a very convenient way to be able to reach in and get the government to take information that it is required from a company and then to get that information from the government so that a, so that your competitor can compete against you uh, on the basis of information that uh, that you had thought was going to be confidential at the time you supplied it. In this instance, with, with these motions, not only was third-party uh, consent not required, that if you had had correspondence with these companies, uh, it wasn't required by the, by the motion that the companies would have to come to you first and, and get your consent. There was not even a requirement that you be informed of the fact that your private information was being uh, turned over to the committee. So it, it is totally inconsistent with the principle that was followed uh, under access to information. It's a violation of the privacy of individual Canadians, and it has very serious implications for organizations, not simply for businesses, but for associations and for uh, community groups and others. We simply don't know, with this precedent being set, who is the next who is the next organization or who is the next individual who's going to offend the government and is going to find these democratic rights simply swept away. Yeah. No, I, I, I want to unpack a number of things that you had to say, both the interface with, uh, or at least the inconsistency with the approach we see in access to information, the, the potential for this to spread or you know, the precedent that gets established and what that means for many other groups. Uh, but first, just quickly, you know, the, the motion is posted on Twitter by Chris Biddle, who's the parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Canadian Heritage. So it's posted just a couple of days before the meeting is, is scheduled to be held. How does the chamber react? I know I reacted with with some blog posts expressing some real concern. Uh, what what was put in motion at the Chamber of Commerce? You know, How did this come to your attention? And, and I guess ultimately what resulted in a, what was, I think, a very fast turnaround in taking a public position? Michael, first of all, you were on it before we were. And uh, the public should be very grateful to you for having for having done that. Uh, we became aware of, of the motion when uh, members of ours came to us and said, do you realize the precedent that's being set here that uh, anybody is potentially on the firing line here and that future governments could use this precedent to uh, do away with the rights of, of any type of organization, association, a community group, uh, environmental groups, whatever. Um, if, if, if for some reason they decided that they wanted to, to make life miserable for you. And uh, it was not the substance of the bill, it was the process being followed here and the utter disregard for democratic rights that raised our concern. Uh, ordinarily, when we're dealing with legislation before parliament, we have a, we have a more or less consensual 
process for developing policy where we reach out to members um, and where we have discussions in, in uh, committees of the Canadian Chamber or there could have been resolutions passed or AGM that require uh, two-thirds majorities to to uh, become our policy. In this instance, it was the element of stealth here on top of everything else and the speed with which the government was operating. Um, the public first became aware through people like you of the fact that the government was introducing this, this resolution, this motion uh, in committee on Thursday. Uh, we started getting members coming to us on uh, on Friday and the motion was to be voted on in on Monday. So there was a weekend in between there where ordinarily uh, groups wouldn't have been meeting and, and where they wouldn't be following events like this. And it meant then that from the chamber perspective, we needed to move very quickly to reach out to, to our members and to consult with others to get their reaction. And universally with the people that we talked to, they had a concern that the process here was undemocratic and dangerous and that it set a, a, a precedent that all of us should be worried about. So as a result, uh, I wrote to uh, the minister and members of the committee on Sunday uh, to put in a marker and make it clear that we were strongly opposed to this motion uh, because we wanted them to know that before they voted on the motion uh, on Monday morning. Yeah, no, well, and you guys obviously moved very, very quickly on that. I mean, it is striking. I just want to emphasize or confirm that that you mentioned that there you've got members that are on both sides or all sides, I suppose, of Bill C-18. There are those that are supportive. There are those th that are critical. But within a matter of 48 hours, you were able to still achieve consensus that this approach, regardless of your view of the sub substance of the bill, that this approach was simply wrong. Well, and that's that's the important thing. Uh, people can take whatever position they they should be allowed to take whatever position they want to, whether on C eighteen or on any other government policy or any other government piece of legislation, and they should be able to do so without fear of retribution. Uh, the issue here is the is the process being put in place by the government that sweeps away the rights of individuals and of organizations and puts has a chilling effect. Uh, upon our willingness to exercise our democratic rights, um, Michael, if, if there's a if at the time when when you want to communicate with somebody else, whether it's an organization or another individual uh, about concerns you have with government, uh, uh, if there's a threat that you may be targeted by a resolution like this, that your uh, privacy will be taken away, uh, that you will be uh, find yourself accused, in, in essence, of being a co-conspirator with some group that the government doesn't like, uh, you're going to be very reticent to express any point of view at all. And putting that sort of a chill where people self-censor themselves or where organizations self-censor themselves um, is very dangerous in a democracy where we need people to feel free to express their points of view without fear of retribution. Yeah, no, and that, and that, I think that chilling effect is real. It is, I think, in this case, particularly notable that that the two targets of this motion are obviously Google and Facebook, but they also are, unsurprisingly, the two most prominent critics of the legislation. And you know, some of what we've heard from government MPs in support of this are questions about some of the tactics those companies may have used, and, and obviously their response to this legislation. But it does seem to me that that there are there may well have been questionable tactics on all sides in fact 
I frankly am familiar with what I think are questionable tactics that have come from some of the beneficiaries or purported beneficiaries of the bill, where we've seen, for example, of blurring of editorial and, and business interests on the issue. You know, what's the the danger, not just in, in generally the, the chill the, on political speech and, and engagement, which is obviously, you know, on its own. I mean, that, that ought to be a, a showstopper. But what happens when you get a motion like this that targets just critics of the legislation as opposed to, you know, if the concern is the tactics that are used to express views on this legislation, not examining all participants in this process, only going after the critics. It is extremely dangerous because it means that the government is is uh, using power that only government has to issue an order directed at a particular group of people who happen to be their opponents on a, on a particular political issue. And just to underscore the point that you were making, um, you know, the obvious question to ask the government is, are you prepared to make available all of the information, including internal documents and external communications that you've had uh, on the development of this policy and of this bill going back for three years, which is what you're asking of these two companies? Uh, and will you make it available between now and the end of March, as you're asking these companies to do? Um, you know, quite apart from the from the beneficiaries of the bill, uh, we're not asked to do the the same thing. I am not arguing that that the companies that are in favor of the bill or other supporters of the bill should be forced to comply with the uh, same provisions. But I think both you and I are making the point that that the the lack of even handedness that the government decides who they're going to target here, and that these, these draconian measures they're putting in place apply only to their political opponents, not to themselves and not to their supporters, that this is undemocratic in the extreme. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, frankly, when you put it like that way, it's just, it. I mean, a statement like that just doesn't sound like you, we would make a connection to that, to the Canadian government or to Canada, quite frankly. It's astonishing that it's reached this it, point. It, it gets worse than that. I, I think you probably have the wording, the initial wording of the resolution, but in that, um, the language that's used to describe the two companies involved, uh, you know, I, it was accusing accusing them of intimidation, and I forget that was it sedition, the other word, or, Sub, so being subversive, subversive, subversive taxes. Yeah, so they are yeah. they're subversives, and presumably anybody who uh, who had dealings with them and was supportive was a co-conspirator and, and intimidation and subversive tactics. And that's why their information needs to be uh, needs to be released. There's an Alice in Wonderland quality to this that, you know, first we'll pronounce the sentence and then we'll have the trial. Uh, it is exactly the wrong way to do things. The parliamentary committee should be looking to have a rational debate. Yes, to get information. Yes, to encourage people from all sides of the issue to come forward and to... Uh, explain why they either support or oppose the bill. Um, but what we're doing here is the government decided they didn't like these two companies. They uh, they take a run at their reputations with very serious allegations in the motion itself and then strip away their rights and the rights of people who have had dealings with them. Yeah, no, it's, I, well, obviously we're, we're, in, we're in agreement on this. You know, you've mentioned government's own transparency uh, on a couple of occasions here, and I, I'm someone who does file pretty regularly access to information requests, and you're, you're you're not getting a response in a couple of weeks. I I had you're it's we're talking about years in some instances. I had I had one request fairly recently that uh, I just got back that uh, took five years for results to come through, and 
as is typical, there is enormous amount of of information redacted. You know, I, I'm curious that you know the, the government seems to appreciate in this instance the benefits that that can come from transparency and demanding this sort of uh, transparency that goes far beyond even what is legal, certainly what's legally required under the Access to Information Act. But you know, what of the government's level of transparency more broadly? I mean, you're right. It, the there are a wide range of exceptions that exist within the government, leaving even aside how long it takes to get information. But if you ask for information specifically about C-18, about the communication strategy of the government, about its interpretation, about a whole range of issues, not only are you not going to get anything until this bill uh, has gone through the parliamentary process in all likelihood, but almost anything that provides uh, a level of detail is likely to be redacted. You know, it, it, this sure feels like a, an enormous double standard. Well, and, and what you've put your finger on there is that that if you were to ask the government for precisely the information that they are compelling from these two companies, the answer would be no. Uh, they would not be prepared to, to provide that information before, particularly before the end of March. As you point out, uh, these things uh, you know, define eternal life as you're waiting to get a response for uh, uh, an access to information request. Um, I was involved in the development of, uh, of privacy legislation and access to information legislation goes back uh, even uh, to the 1970s when I was in Parliament. And then in the Clark government, when we came into office, uh, we had committed ourselves to bringing in privacy legislation and access to information legislation. And the intention was that there would be two bills that ultimately would be be joined to to deal with the issue of how do we manage uh, information in a democratic society. I was responsible as Minister of State for the Treasury Board for the privacy side, and Walter Baker, who was our House leader, had responsibility for access. The government was defeated before we had a chance to to bring in the legislation, although we uh, certainly on the privacy side had it in draft form. Um, but it, it was subsequently brought into place uh, while I was a member of Parliament. One of the things that disturbed me just in, 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 in looking at the impact, it was an unintended consequence um, of the legislation being brought in, is that it was often the case before that you could simply pick up the telephone, call a public servant and say, um, in, I'm looking for information about such and such an issue. Uh, can you share with me whatever you have on that? And uh, they would often say, sure, be glad to do that. I'll stick a copy in the mail and send it to you, and you would get an answer very quickly. Um, the advent of, of access to information, which was designed to enhance the rights of citizens, um, in some ways served as an impediment to information that was available previously, because what you got then was, in essence, a checklist that officials were expected to go through of here are the reasons why we will not make information available. And uh, there was such process involved here that it would drag on forever. And that where there's information that, that may not be exemptable, but which the government would be embarrassed to have in the public domain, it can use the, the tactic of delay and simply drag the process out forever. So the irony of all of this is, is yes, on balance, access to information legislation uh, is an important step forward in protecting democratic rights, but there have been unintended consequences where in a number of instances it has been used to actually 
uh, prevent citizens' access to information. Just one other point I would make. In, in general, the way that I see information, and this may be an oversimplification, is as a property right. That information, whether it's about you as an individual uh, or uh, government information uh, and your relation to it as a citizen, I believe should belong to the citizens, should belong to the individual. And the onus should be on government if it is compelling information from you to justify the need for you to provide that information. Um, and in the case of information that you as a citizen want to get from the government about, about public activities that affect your rights or your, your tax money or, or any other element of public policy, um, the onus should be on government to explain why you shouldn't have access to that information. That to me should be our starting point in all of this. And certainly what was violated by this motion was the fact that, that uh, there was simply a compulsion that uh, without consultation with third parties, these companies were to simply make this information available to the government. And uh, uh, there was no reciprocity, no requirement on government uh, that they disclose information that they have uh, to people who oppose their position. Yeah, no, I think it. Uh, th thanks for that. The background to to understand how we've come to to where we are with respect to Canadian access to information rules, and then and I think now we've we've sort of essentially identified two sets of inequities in terms of just how different organizations get are being treated in this context. In addition to all the the chilling effects that we've talked about, both in terms of of who gets targeted. From uh, in terms of supporters or uh, detractors or critics of the legislation on the one hand, and then the the public versus the government and that level of transparency, you know why don't why don't we conclude with this? And I'll I'll just I just want to quote your conclusion to your letter, which states every individual and in every organization in Canada has the right to decide whether it supports Bill C eighteen or any other piece of legislation that comes before Parliament. They should be free to do so without fear of retribution for their views. For the committee to take any other approach would not only be undemocratic, it would also be unconscionable. And so I wanted to close by asking, what, what would you like to, to see next? We did see some changes. Uh, Liberal MP Anthony Housefather put forward his own motion. So government seems to have recognized that Biddle's motion was a massive overstep. They came back with Housefather, which... Uh, excluded some elements, but still includes elements. It actually treats the two companies differently, which is, is frankly a bit bizarre in terms of what the ultimate outcome is. How do you think the, the company should ultimately address uh, these issues where there are certainly legit concerns um, around this legislation and around uh, company reaction to it? Uh, but what would you like to see happen next from this committee? Well, Michael, as you, you pointed out in, in response to your representations and ours and, and those of other people, uh, the government diluted the poison. They didn't get rid of it. They di diluted it. What we have uh, as a result is something that is a little less undemocratic, a little less threatening, uh, a little uh, less vindictive than we had before, but more incoherent in that even between the two companies, there are totally different standards here. Uh, that they're now uh, applying, what we still have, what still remains, and, and where my primary concern is, is the precedent that is being set that the government has established its right to, if, to go after opponents 
to its policies or to its legislation and to sweep away uh, their democratic rights. We don't know who is next. And uh, people who support the government on C-18 may say, well, you know, I don't like you know, good on the government. I don't like Facebook or I don't like Google. That's fine. Who is next? There could be a change in government. Uh, what if the government of the day doesn't like an environmental organization or uh, uh, you know, a gay rights organization or a, uh, an indigenous organization? Uh, the precedent that's being set here lowers the threshold for governments to take action against any organization that wants to, that it decides is, is in its political gun sites. And that's dangerous. What needs to be done? The government needs to scrap that motion. And it needs to respect the basic rights that all of us have a, have a right to, to exercise in a democracy. Okay. Well, you know, I think you, I think the, the letter states it well. You stated, stated it perfectly in terms of next steps. Para, thanks for, for getting engaged on, on this issue and, and finding a way to, to achieve consensus on a position on the government's response, even in an environment with an organization where there are, as, as we've been saying, uh, both supporters and, and critics of the legislation. And then, of course, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And, and thank you, most of all, Michael, for your work in sounding the alarm on, on this dangerous motion. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.